Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week, we've been reading a portion out of the third installment of the book, Saints, Boldly, Nobly, and Independent. This book was published in 2022. It's the third of four volumes that are going to have a history of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I have said, and I've said it again this week, that I appreciate these volumes of being a bit more transparent in many areas than their histories have been in the past. However, I still think they are far from perfect, for sure. And when it comes to the subject of blacks and the priesthood, I still think the church is involved in gaslighting its membership. And one of the reasons why is because of what we've been reading this week, dealing with the subject of Jane Manning James, who was described as being one of the earliest black Latter-day Saints. And in the book, it talks about her funeral, and it talks about how she was well-loved and how blacks and whites attended her funeral. Uh, But it gets to a portion when it talks about Jane Manning James asking President Joseph F. Smith who spoke at her funeral, she had asked Joseph F. Smith if he could help her in receiving temple endowments for herself and her deceased family members. You have to understand, at this point in time, black members were not allowed the same privileges when it comes to temple ordinances and such as were other members. But it says that since the early 1850s, the church had restricted saints of African heritage from holding the priesthood or receiving any temple ordinance except baptism for the dead. Explanations for the restriction varied, but they were speculative, not the word of God. And that's what we've been talking about in the past couple of shows. Was it really speculation, or did these men who gave these explanations think that these were doctrinal positions? You see, it's real easy for the modern leadership in the church to just wave their hand and tell the membership, hey, forget everything you heard about what our leader said about a particular topic. It was just speculation. Don't take it seriously just speculation. It's the same as what we see in The Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Even though we have all these leaders giving reasons for why they felt that this restriction was imposed upon black members of the church, now the church says whatever reason they came up with was all speculative. This bothers us as Christians because there are plenty of quotations that can be cited, and we're going to be citing them, that show that these leaders did not feel that they were merely involved in speculative reasons. They thought they had real doctrinal positions, and this is why they taught what they did regarding why blacks could not hold the priesthood. 
Well, first of all, let's start with Brigham Young, since he's mentioned in the very next sentence. Did Brigham Young really think that things that he taught should be regarded as mere speculation? It doesn't seem so. In fact, Brigham Young said some pretty amazing things about himself when it came to the things that he taught. Oh, one would come from the Journal of Discourses, volume 12, page 127. He said this on December 29, 1867. What man or woman on the earth, what spirit in the spirit world can say truthfully that I ever gave a wrong word of counsel or a word of advice that could not be sanctioned by the heavens? The success which has attended me in my presidency is owing to the blessings and mercy of the Almighty. Well, that sounds like he's pretty sure of himself. And who is going to question him? Well, really, folks, nobody can question Brigham Young at that time because Brigham Young was the prophet, seer, and revelator of the church. He is the final authority when it comes to doctrinal positions of the church. But that's not the only statement Brigham Young made regarding that. No, in the next volume of Journal Discourses, volume 13, page 264, three years later, on October 6, 1870, he said, Brother Orson Hyde referred to a few who complained about not getting revelations. I will make a statement here that has been brought against me as a crime, perhaps, or as a fault in my life. Not here, I do not allude to anything of the kind in this place, but in the councils of the nations that Brigham Young has said, quote, when he sends forth his discourses to the world, they may call them scripture, end quote. I say now, when they are copied and approved by me, they are as good scripture as is couched in this Bible. And if you want to read Revelation, read the sayings of him who knows the mind of God without any special command to one man to go here and to another go yonder or to do this or that or to go and settle here or there. So I guess you could say there, Eric, is that Brigham Young is pretty much pulling rank on everybody else. He knows the mind and will of God. So we are to assume by that statement that what he tells us about what he thinks is the mind and will of God is the mind and will of God. And he gives us that impression many times throughout his lifetime when he was president of the church. And this is toward the end of his life. In fact, this next quote comes from August 31st, 1873, just a few years before he dies. Journal of Discourses, volume 16, page 161. I am here to give this people called Latter-day Saints counsel to direct them in the path of life. I am here to answer. I shall be on hand to answer when I am called upon for all the counsel and for all the instruction that I have given to this people. If there is an elder here or any member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who can bring up the first idea, the first sentence that I have delivered to the people as counsel that is wrong, I really wish they would do it. But they cannot do it for the simple reason that I have never given counsel that is wrong. This is the reason. Now, it reminds me of his Adam God teaching that he gave in 1852 in a general conference message, by the way, because he does the same thing there. He ends that sermon by saying that everybody listening to him better pause before they treat this doctrine, the doctrine that he just taught, that Adam was God— if you treat that doctrine lightly or with indifference, it will prove your salvation or damnation. But yet we have people today in the LDS Church referring to that sermon that Young gave in 1852 and actually mentions the same type of teachings later on in his life, including, I might say, in the 1870s when he says the Lord gave him that doctrine. You still have people in the LDS Church saying, well, it was just the Adam-God 
theory, as if Brigham Young got up and put his elbow on the podium and said, let me tell you some of my theories that I have to say about Adam. He never did that. He spoke with authority on the subject. He challenged people regarding those teachings. And even though there was not always a willing consensus, even among some of the leadership regarding that teaching, for instance, Orson Pratt had problems with it, they pretty much went along with it. And the reason why they went along with it is because this is supposed to be the prophet of the church. He is speaking on behalf of God in these matters, and we need to go along with what Brigham Young is saying. In other words, if you don't agree with him, you're wrong, but Brigham Young is not wrong. Now, after he dies, they certainly get rid of that doctrine. They, they ignore it as much as they possibly can. They come out with a statement on God, which completely ignores what Brigham Young taught earlier in his lifetime. But the fact is, he was the living prophet at the time. And I know a lot of Latter-day Saints will say, well, you got to go by the living prophet. Well, he was living at the time he said it, and people believed him at the time he said it. Just like you have a living prophet in the Mormon church, they claim today, people believe him because he's the living prophet. But what happens when that prophet dies? Well, everything is up for grabs, really, because the next leader can come up and say something that contradicts what a, a previous leader said. And that's perfectly okay for most Latter-day Saints. Now, we would certainly have an objection to that. And this is the problem, Bill. You either are going to stand or fall on this idea of, of revelation, the living leaders that you mentioned. I think you're bringing out a good point because he was living when he said it. And with the current prophet, whoever that is, when he dies, are we now supposed to say he's no longer a living prophet? Notice, though, that Latter-day Saints don't do that to Joseph Smith. They'll do it to Brigham Young, but they certainly would never do it with Joseph Smith. Well, let's go back to some of the reasons that were given, because this is what the book says on page 132. Explanations for the restriction varied, but they were speculative, not the Word of God. Now, we've already determined during this week, by citing various statements, that the leaders who felt that the blacks should be restricted from holding the priesthood were under that restriction because it was of God. They gave God the credit. Now, Joseph Fielding Smith, the 10th president of the church, we've cited him this week. He was, he was not only the 10th president of the church, but he also held the position of church historian for about half a century. He went on in his book, The Doctrines of Salvation, volume 1, page 61, to say this. There is a reason why one man is born black and with other disadvantages, while another is born white with great advantages. The reason is that we once had an estate before we came here and were obedient, more or less to the laws that were given us there. Those who were faithful in all things there received greater blessings here, and those who were not faithful received less. What he's teaching here is that you are born into a certain type of situation on this earth based on how you behaved before you came to this earth. Because in Mormonism, they have a doctrine they call the pre-existence. And what Smith is saying is the way you are right now is a result of what you were like before you came here. And one argument is, is, well, maybe the blacks were neutral in heaven, and that's why they're being punished. Well, that's not what Joseph Fielding Smith, he said there were no neutrals in heaven during what was called this war in heaven. He said, all took sides either with Christ or with Satan. Every man had his agency there, and men received rewards here based upon their actions there just as they will receive rewards hereafter for deeds done in the body. The Negro, evidently, is receiving the reward he merits. 
Now we have to ask, is Joseph Fielding Smith merely speculating? Does he give us any indication in that writing, which is in volume one of Doctrines of Salvation, and there were three volumes, when he speaks of this prohibition, is he giving any hint at all that he's merely speculating on this? It sounds like he's talking with pretty much authority, and he doesn't seem to have ever changed his views even when he becomes president of the church. He's teaching pretty much the same thing. Now, he's not the only one that taught that, and this is what I think needs to be known here. This isn't just a a random idea of one past leader, a number of them shared that very position, that it had something to do with what blacks had done in the pre-existence that prevented them from being allowed to hold the priesthood in this mortality. Were all of them guilty of speculation? And if so, why would you ever want to trust them for anything? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism. As with most Christian organizations, Mormonism Research Ministry depends on the generous financial support of friends like you. If you like what we do and how we do it, would you consider helping MRM meet its financial obligations? Merely go to our website, mrm.org. At the right, you'll see a donate button. Click there and follow the instructions. MRM is a Christian nonprofit 501c3 organization and your gifts are tax deductible. Not only that, they are greatly appreciated. Thank you for your support of this ministry.